0: Welcome to MedEvidence, where we help you navigate the truth behind medical research with unbiased, evidence-proven facts, powered by Encore Research Group and hosted by cardiologist and top medical researcher, Dr. Michael Corrin. My name is Dr. Michael Corrin. I'm a cardiologist, and I'm the host of this MedEvidence educational session. And I am delighted to have Dr. Alpha Patel sitting next to me, who is a tremendous internist, uh, excellent clinical trialist who I've worked with for a number of years. She just reminded me it's been 16 years that we've been working together. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. And she's also had a recent personal family situation that she's going to talk with us about, and this is involving the concept of palliative care. Mm-hmm. And palliative care is, uh, is something that all of us in medicine get exposed to because um, as hard as we try, some patients have just incurable problems, and it's always a little bit of a struggle for us in terms of, one, yes. accepting the fact that you know, maybe we don't have the answer for everything, and maybe there is a less uh, intense approach in terms of medical intervention mm-hmm. to help people deal with end-of-life issues. Right. So Dr. Patel and I are going to explore the concepts of palliative care this morning. And uh, she's been kind enough to be willing to share some very personal experiences. And I do appreciate that. Thank you. So um, let me just ask you to kind of give us a little bit of your background and your previous exposure to the concepts of palliative care. And then um, maybe we'll get to the point where you can talk about what happened to you personally and why this became a very passionate concern of yours.
1: Sure. Sure. So I'm actually an internist, as Dr. Corin uh, mentioned. I've been actually practicing now 22 years, have done clinical trials for almost 16 years, um, and I've been very privileged to work with you during that time. Um, I would say I've used palliative care in these terms for my patients for quite some time now. Um, and the main I guess, objective behind palliative care is to make the patient and the family comfortable with the next stage of managing a chronic disease. Um, These patients are not looking for a cure at this point. Whatever treatments are given to them are not for any curative intent of the disease. We realize that the disease process may continue taking on whatever form, shape it takes. Um, However, during this process, we make the patient and the family feel comfortable that they can have objective relief from pain, um, some subjective relief from like providing counseling, uh, social support to the family during this time, um, you know, spiritual counseling, uh, respite care. All of this is an essential part of helping this patient and the families. Um, I have patients, you know, who are suggested to do palliative care, be hesitant at first because they think that as, as physicians, we're giving up on them. And that's where they have to realize that you know maybe at times we don't have all the answers, we don't have the cures to every disease, especially as a patient ages and they cannot tolerate a lot of um, medications or treatments, which is what we've kind of dealt with with my father. Um, and I'm willing to, to talk about our experience and how we even got to this
0: well, before we get to your, your personal situation, I want to highlight this concept of cure versus comfort. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very interesting. So in medicine, most of our training is about cure. Obviously, we diagnose disease, and then we try to cure whatever the problem mm-hmm. is. Some things we can't cure, but we can manage well. Correct. But the other part of what we do as clinicians, and particularly through uh, medical training, is learn about comfort. Mm-hmm. and there are different elements to that and certainly symptom relief is is one of the reasons that we do what we do mm-hmm. but sometimes a uh, cure and comfort work together quite well mm-hmm. but at other times they may be working against each other so sure. i don't know if you want to comment on that concept
1: yeah and in fact when we when i started this journey uh again i, I I keep going back to my father because this is all I can relate to because even when I've made referrals for my patients, after that initial palliative care referral's done, we're almost out of the picture until you experience it yourself. Um, The disease process that we dealt with with my my father was um, oral cancer, which is a very painful condition. His health was very frail to begin with. He's 85 with multiple comorbid conditions that put him at very high risk for um I guess long term complications from any curative treatment. So we opted not to do surgery, which was what was recommended to us. Yeah, at so, first. That's, so, so that's really, yeah. really
0: interesting. So there so that's that focal point between mm-hmm. cure and comfort. Mm-hmm. And probably cancer patients are the patients that are most likely to be referred to palliative care. But in my space, in congestive heart failure, Mm -hmm. it happens as well. So, for example, you may have somebody that has a severe valvular disease problem, and there is a potential, quote, cure through surgery, but you have to weigh what the risk of that surgery Mm -hmm. is and whether or not you're putting the patient at such a disadvantage in terms of achieving their comfort goals that the cure is not even worth it. So, of course, in medicine, we always have uncertainty when we go about a decision-making process, for example, whether or not to treat oral cancer with major surgery, which may or may not be successful, uh, we have to look at the comfort side of it. Mm And so um, that's certainly something that we do, and it, and it crosses a, a lot of different areas. Can you think yeah. of any other areas other than cancer and heart disease where that might come into play?
1: I think um, congestive heart failure for sure, like you mentioned, valvular heart disease. Um, even in severe coronary artery disease, I've, I've had a population of patients who really didn't want to go through a cabbage, and they made significant lifestyle changes to improve their heart disease, which is which can be achievable. Like I think in the past, we always pushed procedures on patients or surgeries. And, you know, I think there's a big push now for us to consider the patient as a whole and improve their lifestyle and a lot of their c- chronic conditions improve right. just from that.
0: Yeah, some things that come to my mind in my space are aneurysms. Mm-hmm. So I've certainly had patients over the years that have large aneurysms that are a danger of rupturing and causing, you know, catastrophic consequences mm-hmm. once they rupture. Mm-hmm. But the risk of, of dealing with them can sometimes be extraordinarily high. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's always a prot- pro- protracted post-hospital mm-hmm. course after surgery, right. which people may not want anything yeah. to do with. I have, you know, one particularly uh, example, lovely, lovely fellow who was a an Air Force colonel. And uh, he had this massive Aortic aneurism, it, 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 it up to nine centimeters. Wow, it's crazy. But um, he lived with it for about ten years, and we had multiple discussions. Uh, and I think w- we first discovered it when it was about six and a half centimeters. Yeah. And he was high risk for a number of reasons, and um, he may and, and his. I remember his creatinine was very very high, so mm-hmm. he he may have needed to be on dialysis. And the thought process would be that if we did the surgery, he would almost certainly be committed to dialysis long-term, right. which he hated that idea. Yeah. So we actually watched this in a palliative care setting for many, many years. Wow. And again, it was this concept of cure versus comfort. comfort. And again, I, I stuck with him and, and we talked about it. And every time that I saw him, I felt the obligation to at least mention the fact that there was a potential cure but that he and I were on the same page knowing that we had decided to go with the comfort approach.
1: Yeah. And I think even as physicians, we don't discuss that comfort approach as a first line option for patients because maybe we feel like our patients may think we're giving up on them. Like even when we, Saw my dad's surgeon, his ENT surgeon, for the first time. Like they were gung ho. Oh, yeah, we can do this. We can operate. We'll take a graft from here. We'll need the muscle. This will this. He'll be on um, TPN for this many weeks. He'll Mm. get a tube feeds. And and we were like, wait uh, a minute. We uh, don't want to do all that. Part of my job is just to define some things when we (laughs)
0: say uh, TPN, that's total parenteral nutrition. Yeah. Which means you're basically not eating and you're getting all your nutrition through IVs, which is. Not exactly comfortable. right? And my
1: dad and I interrupted him at that point and said, listen, he's 85 and a lot of the pleasures that that he may have left Mm. at his age, you're talking about taking all of those away. He's been a chef or a cook most of his life and he loves to eat. Now you're talking about putting in a feeding tube and he's like, I'm not going to enjoy that. I don't want to do this. What other options do I have?
0: So before we get to your dad's Mm -hmm. story, which we're going to get into a lot of detail uh, very soon... But I just wanted to make a couple of points, general points. So when you say palliative care, sometimes that means going to a facility Mm -hmm. where everything is kind of taken care of for you. And that would be typical for people who maybe have a few weeks to live or even days to live but most palliative care is now in the outpatient setting. You might yeah. want to comment on that.
1: Most of it's in the home setting where the patients are the most comfortable. Um, it is a lot of work from the family standpoint as far as providing caregivers, um, but also hiring additional help that you need because everyone has to be safe in this process. But um, you know, palliative care is basically allowing you to continue to live life, understanding that you have a chronic condition or a terminal condition. Mm-hmm but yet this might be the last stage of your life where you still want to live it to the highest potential that you can.
0: And when you're in practice, do you prescribe exactly the, the vision for the palliative care? So let's say you had a cancer patient, uh, not your dad, we'll get to him in a second, but uh, just a general cancer patient that's decided they want to go palliative, mm-hmm. would you, um Comment on whether or not that person should be in an inpatient facility, quote-unquote, versus an outpatient? How do you go about that thinking?
1: I think now most of the inpatient facilities, like you said, it are usually the last several weeks of, of the dying process, unfortunately, to term it a better way, I don't know. But majority of care is given either in the home setting if, if um, there's enough support or in a nursing facility. Um, you can even have hospice or hospice palliative care at a nursing home, which was something I didn't know. I thought, you would have to do that in one of their facilities. But for the majority of patients and families, they want to try to keep their loved one at home around sure. the care that they've received most of their life.
0: Well, sometimes it's actually done in a hospital. I've had the experience where there's a there are palliative care wards in the hospital, or just change the status of a patient in the hospital to palliative care, which reduces the nursing burden and mm-hmm. other things. And sometimes it makes it easier for families. Mm -hmm. So in my experience, the other part of this is that not all families have equal abilities to cope with the situation.
1: Yeah, it's true.
0: And and some families actually need the support of the hospital as as an institution or an inpatient facility as as an institution to help them through these difficult
1: times with a loved one. Yeah, that's true. And I think that during palliative care too, you know, if there's a sudden downturn in the patient's, um, medical problem, like say, for example, all of a sudden they were able to drink, but now the last two days you can't even keep down any fluids. In that condition, they still can go to a hospital facility to get palliative fluids. Like, you know, we talk about, we always think that hospice withholds fluids and all this at the end of life, but that's not even true. That was a misconception I even had. And and
0: that's a great point. So just because somebody's in palliative care doesn't mean you don't treat the patient. Correct. But we're treating for comfort, not cure. Right. So um, we're going to take a break here. But when we get back to this discussion, I want you to walk the audience through what your experience is with, with your dad, starting from the beginning. You know, tell us a little bit about him and then um, perhaps let us know when he got, first got his diagnosis and how that all played out. Sure. Thanks for joining the MedEvidence Podcast. To learn more, head over to medevidence.info or subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform.